This summer's must-read mystery is Meredith Adamo's Not Like Other Girls. A girl's search for her missing classmate digs up dangerous secrets in this unputdownable feminist thriller, perfect for fans of Veronica Mars and A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me two brothers. Do you want to introduce yourselves, fellas? Yep, hello, my name's Sam Clemens. And I'm George Clemens. And we are the Clemens brothers uh, as filmmakers, uh, the sons of Brian Clemens. Now, Brian um, is the reason we're we're coming together on the podcast to talk to talk to you. Do you want to tell us what it's about? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think in true Brian Clements fashion, we don't want to give too much away uh, what we're, uh, <laughs> the plot of anything. Um, but um, uh, for those of the people that don't know, our father passed away in January and um, he's got uh, an array of, of scripts and, and, and ideas that are around. But his very last idea was um, this short film that we've just finished shooting last weekend called Surgery, which is a short idea for um, a horror which was uh, and is always um, a, was going to be a prelude um, to a feature film called The Still, which we've been developing for quite some time, which is his actually his last script that he ever wrote. Um, so we, we wanted to do this um, first, really, as a I suppose as a I suppose a calling card for George and I in the world of horror, um, and also because it's all in kind of in the same world, and I think anything you know, with, with Brian's or dad's name on it is, is worth making really. So, um, and we had a little bit of funding to be able to make it, um, but not necessarily to finish it. But, um, we, that's why we're doing this, this fundraising campaign. Maybe George, you want to explain the rest of it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, also I just want to add in that this film is also in tribute to our dad. Um, it was nice that because it was the very last thing that we were talking about, literally the night before he passed away. Um, we wanted to piece this together as quickly as possible because, um, thankfully, Frightfest have agreed to screen it without seeing it, which is very rare. So we're looking forward to a premiere in August at Leicester Square. Um, so in order to help us get to that stage, we set up our campaign, which is on the website fundy.com, and that's P-H-U-N-D-E-E.com, um, which if you go on that website and click on the surgery page, you'll get to our our link, which um, will show you everything we're, we're trying to do and keep you updated on the project and its progress. Um, as Sam mentioned, we've already wrapped shooting, so we're in the post-production side, and this is where we really need to build the funds um, more than anything because we need... 
we've got quite a few visual effects shots that need to be included and the turnaround time is very quick and to allow us to do that we need we need the funds in place really um so anything anyone can donate would be very very welcome and appreciated and on the website you'll see there's various rewards for however um, whatever amount you're willing to give to this wonderful project so um I mean, I'll put a link up with the podcast so people can um, can click directly on it if they if they get as far as the podcast. Yeah. Um, and and what is it? What is it specific? I mean, you, you've just sort of you've generally touched on what you need it for. So you so you've shot the movie, and you need. Is there a sum of money you're actually looking to raise in total? Is there a, is there a target for you? Yeah, there's. Um, I mean, we're trying to raise basically four thousand um, pounds. Okay. And that's that's uh, as George sort of mentioned, mainly for the post. Well, really for the post side, um, things uh, a little bit like the sound design and, and music. And we've got a, um, this a piece of music we we want to license alongside the film, um, and lock it to the film for the festival run and online as well. Um, also, a festival strategy um, to get it into you know um, horror film festivals around the world. Uh, so it's it, it's sort of. You know, we're trying to think of it more. That I think a lot of people make films and don't think too much about the other side of it as much. Do you know what I mean? The selling side of it, and we really want to try and sell this before we made it. And that's, I think, where Fright Fest came in because, um, I mean, you know, until anything is in in writing, I never believe it. But they they, they seem to want to be doing a uh, a retrospective screening of Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter this year um, because. There is a, a Blu-ray version which they're planning on, I think, releasing in this in this country. So it would be a sort of a, <clears throat> a launch for that. And you know, one of the exclusivities of that is is this short, which is his last idea. I think they <laughs> agreed as long as we didn't make it rubbish. They're like, just make sure <laughs> just make it good. Make sure the production value is good. It's it's scary and horrible. And I think. Um, this particular short is definitely the darkest thing that Dad has ever, I think, done in his career. Um, it's it's it, it still has elements of humour, but it definitely is um, a lot darker than his previous material. And I think that was leading up to our last, uh, well, this 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 feature film, The Still, which again um, was an idea that, that that came from me and my friend Ewan Thompson, and we wrote it. And then uh, we thought it would be a good idea. Why not get get um, Dad to do a, a, a redraft or a pass on it? Um, which thankfully he finished, and now we're just in the in the phase of you know re-editing that and you know doing a little bit of script changes here and there. But um, again, it's quite. It's quite dark, um, and you know, I think Dad was more of a thriller writer than a horror writer. But you know, um, he still comes from the the world of Hammer horror, so there's definitely uh, elements of humour that seep into the script um, that, that that was maybe lacking originally. Um, okay, well, look, let's just, just quickly round up then for on the, on the case of the campaign. So the campaign's live now. I'll yep. get, I'll put a link with this podcast <laughs> to people. Uh, you're trying to raise four thousand pounds. When does the campaign close? Uh, end of May. Um, end of May. Okay, cool. So this will be going out um, first week. It will be going out next Thursday. So that's that's a good that's that's good in terms of your timeline. Yeah. Um, we're recording this on the first of May, dear listener. Um, right then. Well, let's let's. I mean, let's touch upon. Let's let's talk. If, if this is a tribute to your dad as well, let's 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 now sort of. Spread our wings a bit and tell, and let, tell the audience a bit about a bit about your dad's work, really. I suppose, and, and sort of give it. And maybe maybe if you can, maybe you can give us an insight 
from what you know about how he worked because for me personally as a writer it'd be interesting to know how he he made his work I mean it's something I do when I have people on so it'd be interesting to get your perspective on how your dad pulled things together I mean when when on Britflix we did a um we did a 10 best British horror films that I compiled <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and soon the darkness featured in it which was which is one of your dad's horrors isn't it yes. yeah yeah um I mean it's a, a, a fantastic film um a very a very European film literally as well as as well as in feel you know it feels like something that is genuinely I know it's shot on the continent but it doesn't feel very British either it uh, it has it has more in common with its kind of European counterparts that were happening at the same time you know. Yeah, well, that's kind of what he was going for with And Soon the Darkness. And he always said that the only problem is if you understand French, then it kind of ruins the film because the whole idea is that obviously there's no subtitles in it. He wanted the audience to feel as lost as the main character within that film, not understanding a word of, of French. So, um... Well, I, I was the audience then because I don't understand a word of French. It worked very well for me. No, that's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> so do you, want to, do you want to give us a little bit of a little bit of... Uh, it's sort of a potty history of, I mean, because you, you, your dad's fairly prolific. I was lucky enough to see him do a talk that you, you had him come and do, um, and I just couldn't believe the numbers. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, dad, dad I, I, really is, is, I think, is, might, might even hold the record for having the most pieces of work produced uh, from a writer ever at the moment. There is one other guy in America, I can't remember his name now, but he's very close, but I think... Really, that, that, that sort of shows you the amount of, of work that he did. I think the thing about that is he was so fast. He, he started um, <clears throat> in the sort of copyright uh, world uh, working in advertising, a bit like, a bit basically like Madman. Um, and he uh, wrote a script and sent it to the BBC and, uh, on a whim. And um, they enjoyed it. I can't remember the person who was there at the time, but they thought it was good. They obviously could see that he could write, but they said, this is going to cost about a hundred million. So can you <laughs> write something else? So the moment he, and he'd never thought about, I think, budget at all. Um, and so he, just, he literally wrote a script of two guys in a, I think in a train carriage um, in one room and they bought it and made it. And that was sort of the beginning for him. And um, he, he sort of started more in film and then went back into television. Um, so he had a discipline of working in film and I would say like a little bit like repertory film. He worked for a, um, a pair of brothers called the Danziger brothers. Okay. And they, they basically got all the, they bought lots of sets and, you know, set pieces from all other big movies. And then they would say, okay, we've got a Victorian street, a pyramid and a submarine can you write a, a film around those three, you know, um, sets that we have? So that's how it would begin. But also he had to do it in, they would release it as a movie for like, you know, an hour and a half, but sometimes some of them would be TV and uh, TV broadcast. So he'd have to be able to take half an hour out of the film Jeez. and still make it make sense. And he sort of said once that, once he'd done, he, he'd, he'd done that, he said writing was easy. He said that was, that was the most difficult thing he's ever had to do. Um, and he, he did, I mean, he must have done about 30 or 40 features before he even came to television or the Avengers or anything. Did, like. didn't, he, didn't he say, did he do something like 30 odd features in about two years or something with these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's proper prolific, isn't it? 
Yeah, you can say that. I mean, at, at the height of his career, when he was doing the Thriller series, um, they worked it out, and I don't think there's any other writer that can work at his pace because they, they worked it out, and he was writing the equivalent of, in a year, 52 novels. So it's basically a novel a week. Gee whiz. Now, now I mean, he was he was involved with... I mean, people may be thinking, I'm not sure if I know him, but there's, there's TV shows that he had a hand in creating that people will know. They'll go, oh, right, no, I do know Brian Clemens. Do you want to give us some of those touchstones? Yeah, well, yeah. I think the big one's The Avengers. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, Patrick Benny and Diana Rigg well, on a Blackman back then. I mean, he, he was involved from the beginning, but he really took over when Diana Rigg came in. Um, and from Diana Rigg until the new Avengers, the, the Avengers was him. I mean, that really is the best. I mean, even, even if you come to our house, it feels like a set from the Avengers. Just that was, and I know that that was the, the happiest time um, that he had. I mean, obviously, the professionals. Um, yeah. Was he, that's that, that is entirely his creation. Um, which is still running today, and there are talks and uh, about a, a movie version of that of that appearing at some point soon, which would be wonderful. He did the pilot for the Persuaders um, with Tony Curtis and Roger Moore, uh, Danger Man, Patrick McGowan, Adam Adamant Lives. Uh, he wrote for the Champions. Um, gosh, George, come on, keep up. The Secret Agent. Um, <laughs> Obviously, thriller series, which I yeah, admit, thriller, uh, yeah, the TV series thr- Bugs. He 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 did Bugs, but with Craig McLaughlin, um, bit of Rosemary and Time, Bergerac, um, <laughs> My Wife Next Door. Yeah, My Wife Next Door, a comedy which he won a BAFTA for. Um, can you can you can you give us any insight into his process? I mean, for someone that could write <laughs> the novel a week, it would seem like no sleep is the key, but. Um, what what was his approach to writing? Was he you know did he burn the midnight oil? Was he was he an outliner? Was he working off a, a whiteboard? Was he index carding? Was he just straight off the no. bat? What was his approach? His approach was uh, he would work it all out in his head before he'd write anything. So he I mean he wouldn't occasionally he would take notes if he thought the dialogue was interesting or something came to him. But usually, I think when he uh, if the idea didn't stay with him, he felt that it wasn't a good enough idea, otherwise he'd remember it. Um, but he would he would generally w- work out the plot of everything uh, and not necessarily know all the dialogue that's going to happen, but have the characters there and sort of throw them in that situation and let them talk to each other. I mean, he worked all the whole of his life and, and right to the end still on a typewriter. He never worked on a word processor or a computer and he typed with two fingers and his uh, motto really was um, from the Danziger brothers, asked to chair, pen to paper. You know, there was nothing, he had no sort of mystery about writing. In fact, in the last couple of years of his life, he said, um, I don't think he'd ever said this before in an, an interview, and he was thought, thought this, is, this is what he does. He said, always finish writing, uh, knowing what your next 10 pages are going to be, because when you come back to it the next day, you know you're not going to be staring at that blank paper. So you know you can at least continue the next day, you know, so you feel that you're productive. So that that was one uh, piece of advice that he he wished he'd sort of said earlier, so we're now having a chance to throw it out there. to you know. That that was his technique for avoiding writer's block, so he never really suffered from that, thankfully. I think I'd never leave the keyboard. I'd have to leave with uh, ten pages ready to go. But that was—I think that was more of his. 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 Um, I think he just had—he had a real gift for um, 
stories and characters and he he was always you know there are there were so many ideas that he wanted to do all the time but just didn't have the time in the day to do it i don't think he he didn't particularly work all the way through the night i think he really was a, a sort of you know he'd get up and he'd work in the morning till sort of lunch and then he'd have lunch and you know of his generation probably a glass of wine or two and then back in the afternoon and you know and finish sort of six o'clock type thing it was quite a, a more, almost like a nine till five so yeah so it's more about the idea of the regimented always writing always sort of to a set set rhythm as it were almost yeah yeah, yeah. and what and what and i mean obviously being his sons what what how has that how has that impacted on you as writers what 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 do you what would you say would be i mean you've just given us a quote there that of something he said later in his life <laughs> about writing but what what was uh what were some of the lessons learnt you 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 got from him growing up, and, and obviously going into film yourself? George, you want to go, and then I'll, I'll say something afterwards. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, obviously, growing up around Dad, it sort of in, we always had the passion for film because we were around it all the time. But he never pushed it on us. I mean, his you know his motto was basically do whatever makes you happy. You know, if you want to be a, and a bin men and do it. I'm not going to push you into either way, but um, obviously because of growing around the excitement of, of film and television and when he was doing bugs and stuff and we'd come onto set, that just kind of stuck with us. So, you know, we we both gravitated towards film because of the environment we were around, really. Um, and it was sort of... It, it wasn't until, obviously, a bit later that me and Sam decided to go into directing together because... I'm trained as an editor and Sam as an actor, but around sort of 2005, we we sort of started thinking about doing our first film. We just thought, well, you know, let's let's give it a go. Um, wrote a script, put it together, learnt what not to do in terms of making a film. Um, and the one thing that kind of came out of it is we realised that although it wasn't ter- you know, wonderfully shot or anything, we created an engaging story that held the audience and you know thankfully they were able to look beyond our mistakes <clears throat> because of what we'd managed to create and I think that that came from obviously growing up around dad and and being constantly told all these wonderful stories I mean dad always like every every day when you'd go to lunch with him he'd always have a new new thing to talk to you about in terms of a funny story or something that's happened on set or not and and a lot of those things just kind of stuck with you I mean the main thing that it stuck with me in terms of our writing style is dad was a strong believer that whatever you're doing, you always need to have a bit of humor in there. So that's how it's kind of influenced our recent film is that although it is going to be quite gruesome and horrible, there's still going to be a comedic touch because his, his greatest influence was Alfred Hitchcock, really. Um, and he always, you know, that's the one person he's really, was really gutted he never got to work with because he absolutely adored everything he did and, you know, would always come back to Psycho when, you know, he'd watch that film over and over again, especially when looking for inspiration because he just thought that was a masterclass in filmmaking. And um, also, I'd, I'd just add that, you know, like, in terms of what we got uh, from, from Dad and pushing into our career is that we kind of got, we were raised as much by movies as we were by our parents. I mean, you know, I, 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 there was never an age limit of anything that we 
could or couldn't watch. I remember sort of being in love with the Terminator at about eight years old or nine years old or whatever it was. Um, and he would allow us to find our own boundaries as to what would frighten us, what wouldn't, and, you know, allow us to make the mistakes ourselves rather than, um, you know, shielding us from, from certain subjects or, or, or film. But he would also show us things that there's no way I would or we would probably have sat down and watched. I mean, movies from 1915, you know, the, the, lots of the silent movies, you know, like people like Harold Lloyd, you know, and even some of, you know, the, the, the Hitler's movies like Triumph of the Will. We would, you know, we'd, he, he would sort of say, you've got to see this for this reason. You've got to see this for this reason. Or there's a great shot that, you know, was pioneered in this film. And now it's been, you know, you can see it, you know, a hundred years later, like in Lord of the Rings or something, do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. a kind of a very, we were getting a film education without knowing it, you know? And, um, well, so I best, think that's the best way to get one, isn't it? Really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think it's a, you know, and, 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 uh, I wish I had more time in my life now to watch as many movies as we did when we were younger, really, you know? Um, cause I think that's, that's the best, uh, that's the best education of all. And now I think with, you know, DVD and extras, you just, you know, you've, you've got, you've got education right there from the filmmakers as to how everything is done and how, how you go about doing it. But the truth is you never know. And I think this is what's, if, if, you, if anyone ever comes to our house, we have, I think four or five cabinets worth about five feet high, maybe four drawers in each. And they are full of ideas and scripts um, some of them that have been made from the adventures and the professionals and stuff like that, but a huge amount of them are things that have never been done and ideas that he came up with that were, you know, were passed on. Um, and he was never precious about material. He just really wanted his material to be done. So he would always say, you never know what's going to be successful or what's going to work, but you, and you can't be precious about your material. If it's not working, move on. You know, you, there are plenty of other ideas out there. Um, and that's just, it, it, you know, some of those ideas we're obviously going to look at in, in years to come or in the future and see if there's any mileage in developing some of them because some of them are really quite interesting. Um, yeah, but, I mean, but. what people didn't really, one thing that um, I don't think many people realize that he was the first writer in talks to do Spider-Man back in the 70s and we had we've got all the correspondence between him and stan lee back in the day and people saying oh we'll never make a movie it's you know it's 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 it's, it's a ridiculous idea for a film it's a kid's thing and it won't work <laughs> you know so it's quite it's quite interesting finding all these these sort of little gems in these in these drawers and cabinets everywhere yeah it's like it's, it's like its own unique little fit little bit of film history isn't it really in a sense mm. yeah and one one thing that was um, quite nice is when we were being interviewed by the BBC, they they um, asked asked us, you know, what do you think your your dad is most proud of? What was his best script to date? And you know, unfortunately, he never made it to air. But what I said to them was that, well, his his script and his idea that he's most proud of has has never been made. Um, it's a World War Two feature film that's just wonderful, but you'd need probably about thirty or forty million to make it, but. That's that's certainly a long term goal for me is for me and Sam to produce that and, and hopefully get to direct it as well. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. 
Wait, wait, can I say, you say you started making work together from about 2005. Um, yeah. What were, <laughs> given, given your dad's presence and your dad's, 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 dad's work that's already out there at this time, how did you avoid the temptation of sort of, Dad, can you just have a look at this? Uh, Dad, you know, well, you know, you know being, being independent, I suppose, and create, creating work before sort of, you know, getting your, getting your dad to look at it, as it were. Well, we kind of, um, I mean, not so much George, but I think Dad and I would argue quite a lot about movies and about things. You know, he he was very quick to say something was, was rubbish or he didn't get it or didn't understand it, you know, if it wasn't very clear. Um, so, we, you know, we, 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 would, we would kind of, you know, disagree and argue about films and about um, ideas a lot. So I think when we came to our first film, uh, Gone Fishing, I kind of... You know, I didn't. I wrote. I wrote it out of necessity rather than because I wanted to. Because I never felt that I would ever do any writing at all ever. Because mm. why would I even attempt it when your, your dad is so prolific? You know, I was. I was an actor and just working as an actor after you know training and you know going out there. Um, but you can't help but want to show him what you've done to get his his you know expertise on it and hopeful hopefully his his blessing and praise for it so um but we did we did i think he respected the fact that we were coming from a a, a modern way of looking at things and i remember he said to me once he said you know you've got to break the rules he goes i might not be the best person for you to talk to he goes because i'm coming with 50 years of baggage and when I was your age, I was breaking the rules and people were telling me, you can't do that. You, you know, you've got to, you know, stick in the confines of what, what has gone before. And, you know, he didn't listen. And he said, so I might not be the best person to be listening to um, because I might not know what is popular anymore. I probably don't. So he was quite aware of of, of change, but um, it didn't mean that he, <laughs> he didn't fight against it at the same time. That's, so, quite, that's quite liberating now, though, isn't it? Because it, it would have been very easy for him to say, well, you know, look, let me just look at your scripts. And uh... and he did, you know, and he did look at stuff and, and, and was, you know, complimentary or, or, or he would say, look, what he would always do is he'd always come in with something positive about what you've done. He goes, you know, because he goes... You or or whoever writes whatever whoever the writer is, he said, you know, we wouldn't be here without you or whoever it is sitting in a room, working it out and putting you know, ass to chair, pen to paper, as he'd say. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's a deep respect that you've taken the time and the effort to write it. Now we can look at it and you know maybe improve on it or at least you know start looking at how how we can we can make this more of a reality um so no, I, I gotta say I, I got some there was something somebody said to me was which was um you know you're, you're not fixing you you're fixing the script so it's kind of like you know that's that's the thing to keep in mind isn't it i think the thing that a lot of writers um suffer from is you know or any artists actually you get very very attached to your material it becomes like a child and when anyone says anything negative about it, you can, it's hard not to get defensive about it. Mm. Um, and I think one of the, if you can and are able to be as detached as possible to, to, you know, to be able to listen to what someone else's idea might be better than yours, that's, that's not a bad place to start. I mean, you know, you, as we know in film and TV, you're working with, you know, hundreds of creatives and you're hiring these people because they are, 
masters in their field and you know i don't know how to compose music you know i don't know how to to do a cgi shot i'm not a cinematographer um so i'm going to listen to their expertise and give them the freedom and the space with which to use their talent and hopefully by doing that you can kind of marry all of your you know team's talents together and i think that was a, he was a very um he loved making films and he loved the artistry that went into it from every angle. I think the only film, well, the only film he ever directed was Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. And I think he really, really wished he, he had directed more because um, I think he loved that experience. Now, um, picking up that, uh, the collaboration point, you, you, you said at the outset that you, that you, that you two are now are working together. Uh, how how does that how does that work in terms of say say when you start with the with the, in the in the beginning with an idea the two of you working together how how do you how do you two make things sort of develop as it were who does one take the lead do you do you sit in the same room together well we're very we're very good at collaborating because we we like all the same stuff and we've got the same sort of sensibility for stuff so we don't really argue so much we just come from slightly different viewpoints I mean. When it comes to the initial stages, I mean, at the moment, I, I've been leaving the script writing to Sam, and then I will come in, read through what he's done, discuss it, and then we'll tweak bits here and there and, and rework it. Hmm. Um, so currently, Sam's been doing the legwork on the scripts, and then I've been helping him reconstruct it and figure out, you know, what's not working, what is working, and obviously at the time, while Dad was still around, we'd obviously come to him for advice from time to time as well, and he you know, usually solve a, a major issue that we've been struggling with for days in about 30 seconds. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to say, actually, George, just very quickly, this 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 short film, we were going to make um, like a, a, a bare-knuckle fighting gypsy um, short because it was an idea for a feature that we've had. And because of the still, we decided, well, it would be a good idea to, you know, do a, a, a horror short instead. I think that makes a lot more sense. And I just said to Dad, go, Dad, I really need, um, you need to come up with something, you know, for a short horror idea. He's like, okay. And literally, I'm not even joking about a minute later, he goes, okay, I've got it. <laughs> and I was just like, dear gosh, you know, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Sorry, George. Yeah, yeah no, it's all right. So, he, you know, obviously, when you've got someone around you like that, it's, it's very useful. And obviously, now we've got to take up the reins ourselves, which is absolutely fine, but um, yeah, again, in terms of us sort of working together, as I said with the script, it's, 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 we always collaborate and it's more me kind of picking up on stuff after Sam's written it and reworking. But when it comes to directing, um, because I'm very technical and Sam's very performance-based, again, it works very well where what will generally happen is I'll spend more time with the camera crew and, and working out shots, whereas Sam will spend more time with the actors um, because he can talk to them from a perspective that he understands what they're going through because he's been there on stage and had, you know, freezes and all this. So that's, I mean, that is something I have experienced when I was younger because I did do theatre studies and stuff, but not on the same level. Um, however, we do kind of use that as a sort of technique because Sam will spend more time with the actors than I will. If there's something we want them to try or do or or we're not quite getting right, I... It, I will come up and say it to them because it has a bit more impact because they're used to dealing with Sam. They're like, oh, if, if George has come and say something, it must be very, very important. So we use that as a nice little device to kind of try and get different versions of, of takes. But the other beauty is that, obviously, as an editor, I always edit our films. 
Um, so in terms of when we're making our, our shorts so far and hopefully a feature in the near future, we're very economical. One, because we can literally be in two places at once, which speeds up the whole process, but also because I can look at it from an editor's eye. And, and I suppose a bit like Dad, you know, as he works out everything in his head before he puts it down, I, I kind of do the same. Like, I'll be editing it in my head as, as we shoot it, um, which allows us to basically chop and change stuff. Like, on, on this short, we had to drop a couple of shots because we were we were running a bit late on time so luckily me being there i could i could just say well okay we can drop that if we get this shot and i know we've got this so we can work that out and obviously sam trusts me on that and it's worked out very well so far so i'd say ultimately at this stage sam puts more of the legwork in at the very beginning then in the middle part, we're equal parts, and then when it comes to the end part, which is post-production, then I kind of take the reins a bit more. So we kind of split our our time equally that way, and it works very well for us. Are you sure you're siblings? <laughs> this, this sounds all too civil. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, used to, we, used to, we used to hate each other and have many, many fights when we were younger, but that all changed as soon as I was old enough to uh, go out drinking with Sam. So that, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we hit that level playing ground, <laughs> it was fine. Now, look, one last one last question before we before we round up. Um, you, you, you say you've shot surgery, so um, what would you say would be, you know, for filmmakers out there, a sort of more general point from maybe one from each of you of a lesson learned through make from making that film to date that you you know you, you you'll no doubt take forward to future films. Well, I think, I think for me, it was the ambition of trying to throw some drone shots into the main shooting schedule. Um, I mean, ultimately, we figured out a way to drop them and do them with a skeleton crew on the Monday. But I think it was just being a bit ambitious on, on time like that. And also, it was our first time working with prosthetics and makeup. So, again, that, that was a point to really drill home to us, is you really have to think about the shooting order in terms of makeup, because you know every time you've got to get the actor fully gored up and everything, that's going to be 45 minutes. So really you want to start with the most amount of makeup and then you're just removing, which massively speeds up shooting time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I think, you know, we did this very quickly, this film. Um, the la our last film, Dress Rehearsal, we had a little bit more... Planning, and I think, you know, preparation, preparation, preparation really helps you um, massively when you come to the shoot and obviously in, in, in the post-production. But I think if you want to do something, I come from uh, an acting world of doing repertory theatre where you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you put one play up after a week's rehearsal and once that plays up, you're rehearsing the other one underneath it. Um, so you only have, end up with about four days rehearsal to put on a two-hour play, which sounds utterly terrifying, and it is terrifying. But the, I think the lesson is you work to the time frame that you're given, and people will step up to it if you set a date. So I think what I've learned from this is that even... Because three weeks ago or a month ago, we weren't making this film, and now okay. we've shot it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. It happened very quickly, but we decided on a date. Lots of people said, there's no way that you can do this. You, 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 you know, you need, you need more time. How can you get all these people together? 
I think we set the date and it's, it's, it's the Wayne's world. If you book them, they will come. <laughs> we <laughs> hope they will come. But I think setting a date is important. It gives you a goal to work towards. Um, that's, that's what I learned through this particular one is, you know, I wasn't sure it was very stressful, but we, we did get an amazing crew of people that came along to do it. I think because we committed to, we are shooting this day. And if you want to be involved, great. We want you. Um, and if not, good luck, you know, and, that, and people always want to help making a movie. I think when it, when everyone else starts coming on board. Indeed. Indeed. Well, look, let, let's just, let me just summarize them. We've got, you shot a film, a short film called surgery. It is, you're now looking to crowdfund £4,000 to help with the some of the post-production and the sales of the film, as it were. Um, yep. There'll be a link with the podcast. And that's open till the end of May 2015, yeah? Yes, yep. And brilliant. And, and, and already you've got a kind of nod from Frightfest to get this film shown at yeah, the festival. I would. I, I. I'm not. I'm not. Um, you know. Until it's in writing, I won't believe it. <laughs> well, no. But if they're if they're showing if they're showing one of your dad's features, it would make a great deal of sense that uh, yeah. this <coughs> slot in neatly along it, having been being an aficionado of Frightfest myself. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the things we like to do with I should have said this before, but I mean, given given your dad's um, your dad's library of films, never mind, not, not catalogue. Um, do you want do you want to pick? From from the kind of more obscure, because usually I get people to recommend me a British movie, um, but I think in tribute to your dad, maybe maybe you could pick us one each from like the cor- you know from the corners of your dad's film world that you think maybe I'm not always get the affection that others get, and that you think it worth a watch. Well, just very quickly because you mentioned it earlier, um, and soon the darkness. Just as you as being a writer, he wrote that in a weekend. That inspires me and depresses me in the same two, yeah. two blows. He came up with an idea. He, he went, oh, I've got, I've got, they, they spoke about it. He went off that weekend, wrote it. Monday morning, they were in pre-production to make it. Jesus. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in because you mentioned I'd seen the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we'll take that recommendation. What, what, else, what else would you recommend? Oh, go on, yeah, go on. Well, I, I think I'd, I'd have to recommend The Cruel Sea. That was always one of Dad's staples and... Whenever one that, that, that Stuart, are you talking about one of Dad's particular films? That yeah, he wrote? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think it'd be worth. It's, I think given given what you're, yeah. you're, you're paying tribute to him, I think it'd be worth for this okay. podcast. Well, I I would have to recommend. It was always one of my favourites of his growing up. Was Golden Voyager Sinbad, um, which obviously features the work of Ray Harryhausen, and also has Carolyn Monroe in it, who also stars in his film Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter. But for me as a child, that's, that's a wonderful film, and the effects and mystery of it still holds up to this day, and, and it's very quotable as well, and, and there's a lot of nice bits of Dad's humour in there, and you can see a lot of Dad's personality throughout that film, so I definitely, if you haven't seen that, it's definitely a, a classic that you should, you should go out and buy now. I've seen that many times, many, yeah. many times. There are... There are... I mean, it's very difficult, but I, there are three that immediately come to me. Go on. Um, if you can get hold of any of the Danziger films, some of them are wonderful. There's uh, one in particular which I think is amazing, and he wrote it probably, I think, in his, uh, in his 30s, is An Honourable Murder, which is a retelling of Julius Caesar uh, in an oil company, and instead of being murdered, he's voted out. And that's, that's 
really quite a brilliant film and wonderfully acted and it's just it's it's a really wonderful retelling of that of that story um another one is blind terror or the, there's another title for it which is see no evil with mia farrow wow um where she's blind and uh the killer has murdered everyone in the house and she is alone and discovers all these dead bodies and things and, and has to evade the killer that's really quite awesome that's a really really good one of dad's um and then I would say either Telltale Heart, which is an Edgar, the Edgar Allan Poe short story, which he turned into a feature again, another Dan Ziger film. Um, and that is just, that's, that's wonderfully gothic and, and, and well put together, black and white. But that, that's sort of 1960, I think you can, you can get that on DVD. And there's one that's really hard, really hard to get, which is called Time Stalkers with William oh. Devane, which is a, a sort of a, it's a bit like a Back to the Future and um and and sort of time cop type movie done you know back in the late seventies early eighties I think which is a really good film but it's a it's a TV movie and it's very difficult to get hold of I think you can only get it on VHS I think at the moment yeah, yeah. There's, and there's some great stuff in it as well in the, in that when I was watching it for the first time I was like oh there's lots of the Star Wars sound effects in it and then I look at the date and it predates Star Wars so. Obviously, George Lucas has seen that film for a lot of the sound design in Star Wars, which I found very interesting. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, th thank you very much for your time. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.